Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to Dose Nation. I'm your host, Jay Kettle. Today is a special, and uh, with me, as always, is um, founder of DoseNation.com and author of Psychedelic Information Theory, James Kent. James, how are you? I'm doing all right this morning, although it's kind of a sad show. It is, yes. I, 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 very sad show, actually. Yeah, um, Sasha Shulgin passed away yesterday uh, in the afternoon, and we wanted to talk a little bit about it because I was just there last week and um, saw him there at the end and knew when I saw him that he only had days left to live. And um, we were planning to do a show once I got back to talk a little bit about how he was doing. I didn't realize it would only be five days later. And here here we are now, five days later, and uh, Sasha has passed away. And uh, it's a very uh, sad occasion, but I think everybody knew it was coming for quite some time. Not everybody, Sure, there were a lot of health problems. At least everybody who knew him. And uh, if you've been following uh, Sasha's account on Facebook or in contact with Ann Shulgin, you've known... For a while now that his condition has just been getting worse and worse and that he's been suffering from dementia and has been mostly unconscious for the last few weeks, um, maybe just getting up for a few minutes to an hour a day at most. Um, and again, not really, he hasn't really been clear or had too many moments of, of clarity and awareness, but uh, over the last few weeks he developed liver cancer and the doctors knew that it was probably uh, nearing the end fight it off anymore and so when we heard about that um, High Times offered to fly me down there to get an overview of basically the estate and his family and see what was going on and um, you know try to capture that moment uh, knowing that uh, one of the 21st century's well, 20th century's greatest scientists was uh, was on his way out, and it was fairly sad. But uh, I'm glad it's over because they had just been sitting around for many weeks and months, wondering when the end was going to come, and that's sometimes worse than just having the finality of it uh, realized. Right. You know, when you when you get to that point, you say, "Well, okay, it's finished. You know, it's been done. He, he's now with." with uh, the source or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but it's those days preceding that can be so hard. Um, I didn't, I, I was not aware that he had developed a liver condition though, or a liver or a liver cancer. That was a fairly recent discovery. Uh, they didn't even tell Sasha that he had it because I don't think he would have, they weren't sure he would fully under would have fully understood mm-hmm. or if he would even, if it, if it would even mean anything to him. It's not. It wasn't anything that he needed to worry about. He he was. He knew he was dying. Um, I mean, he knew he didn't have long anyway. Um, Which is very unfortunate. It's- when I was out there five days ago, he um, did not get out of bed for the whole day. And when he was out of bed, he was in a wheelchair, of course, and he was very skinny. I'm guessing he was probably eighty-five or ninety pounds. And he's a tall guy, so he was he was withered down to um, skin and you know, bones, just a frame, yeah, skin and bones. 
And he was mostly blind and he was mostly deaf. He could see out of his periphery and he knew that people were there. I'm not sure he knew who was there. Um, I think he understood that people were visiting him to talk with him. Uh, he, we had a very short conversation where he asked me and uh, Justin McIver, the uh, photographer that had come with me from High Times, who I met there at the Shulgin Farm, uh, he he and I were talking while we were taking some pictures, and sh we told we were telling Alex we were telling Sasha that we had come I had come from Seattle and he had come from Santa Cruz just to visit him and see him, and he kept saying why what for why what for, uh, he couldn't really enunciate what he was thinking but he could say short short sentences like that, um almost like a three year old would. Right, you know, right. Just to keep, just to keep getting us to 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 follow the thread. Right, you know, why yeah, were yeah. Here? Why were we here? And I don't know if he was just messing with us, or if he wanted us to say, "Well, we're here because we know you're dying," or, or what. But you know, it was basically we were saying, "Well, we're here to document your life, and we're here to document what you've accomplished here, and you know, uh, talk to the people around you, and 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 see how." how your work has changed the world is basically what we were saying. And he kind of processed, processed that very seriously. And, uh, um, that was really the extent of the conversation I had with him. I think we only spoke for maybe five minutes and it was mostly me who was speaking because he wasn't very responsive. Well, you know, when you're sick it, wasn't, like that. it wasn't an interview. It was just mostly a, uh, you know, me trying to gauge what his what his grasp of reality was and how 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 far he had. And when I was talking to his family, they were saying the doctors said he probably had a few weeks left. And as I left that day and drove away from the farm, I knew it was probably more like week, a day, you know, a few days to a week. Yeah, I, and you were spot I've seen people at end of life stages like that. And I kind of understood where he was, although I guess he's been in that state already for a few weeks. So right, um, yeah. Sad to say that it was I was fairly accurate. I when I came back, I told my wife that I said I would be surprised if I can file this story for High Times before he dies. I have a feeling this isn't going to be a legacy piece. This is going to be an obituary. So, and that's really I guess essentially is, what it's that become. That is what it is. I mean, it is what it is. Um, I was there to write a piece about a man's life, assuming that his life would be over by the time that the article came out. And it's come to pass, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, he's made many put, great contributions. Sorry. Um, no, you go ahead. Uh, no, I mean, he's made many great contributions. It's, it, it's very sad. It's very, very sad that, that, a, that a fig, that some, you know, such a great figure is now lost to us. Um, and, uh, you know, I, there's something that someone brought up to me today when I was discussing this um, that, I th I, that I wanted to bring up on air. And that was that he really helped propel a lot of the, a lot of the psychedelic research that we're seeing today. He helped put that into motion um, in, yeah, a, in was, a big way. He was not a... Uh... He didn't do clinical research, but no. he did. He did the early exploratory research, exactly, which, and that, which, yeah, and that pushed you know things into clinical research, uh, eventually. Right. 
And you know, right. sure. And I and I don't think that that's something that should go completely unnoticed. And I and that's a huge contribution to not only the psychedelic community, but to the medical community, to the um, to the scientific community, to you know um, the neurological community. I mean, to really so many different academic circles. And I think that that's something that shouldn't go unnoticed. Right, and that's kind of the thrust of the piece that I'm working on is trying to, to just illustrate how how much he he um, accomplished and on all of the uh, contributions that he has made. When you think about it, uh, Sasha Shulgin was the first person to publish on the psychoactive effects of MDMA, and that was back in you know early 70s, if not earlier. He was he was researching it. He was the first to publish um, a detailed report on the various potentially active properties of marijuana before people knew what made marijuana psychoactive. He did research separating out THC and uh, the different cannabinoids uh, in, the, in the laboratory. Um, he discovered all sorts of things that we just take for granted now about uh, phenethylamines and tryptamines. Um, and the structure of different psychoactive molecules and what makes them psychoactive and uh, what shapes and what receptors you would want to target to make them psychoactive. Uh, he was responsible for the coining of the term designer drugs, even though he did not like that term. Back in the late 70s and early 80s, um, the media jumped all over this phrase, designer drugs, mm -hmm. Because a smart chemist, they would say, could take an illegal drug like amphetamine right. and change one part of the molecule and it's a completely new drug that is also psychoactive, that is legal. And that process, they were talking about Sasha. I mean, the media was talking about Sasha because he was really the only chemist that was doing that work. There may have been others doing similar work, but he was the only one who was methodically taking current molecules and tweaking them slightly and then trying them and then tweaking them slightly and then trying them. He was literally designing new drugs. Exactly. Yeah. So when people talk about designer drugs, the designer that they're talking about is Alexander Shulgin. Right. They might as well just be calling them Shulgin drugs. Shulgin drugs. Right. They're not designer drugs. They're Shulgin drugs. I mean, they were made <laughs> right. by... Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But, see, that, but once that notion of designer drugs caught on... Other chemists started trying to figure out how to make designer drugs, but it was really Sasha. And that market is really Sasha gone. was the first person to say, how can I redesign this drug to make it more potent, more psychoactive, psychoactive in a slightly different way, etc. Yeah. And I mean, um, di didn't he have something like over 4,000 recorded trips or something to that degree? Well, I was asking Anne about this, and she said that they stopped counting at about 2,000. <laughs> Wow. And okay. even that I find suspicious because if you get to 2,000, you have to be tripping every day for the better part of five years, I think. I'm not sure what the math is, five or six years. And it just seems crazy to me that somebody could take that many trips, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, what if they, you just they, like they being in that a long world. life? I mean, if spread out over the course of 25 years or 30 yeah. years or even 40 years, that may become a more realistic figure but uh but yeah that it's 
a lot. We can just it say is a lot. Something. No, yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I, I'm not going to play that. Whether it's two thousand or four thousand, I mean, that's that's quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. So, and um, one of the other things is that uh, I that we were we were getting at in terms of his legacy is that well a lot of the impact that he had to begin with was not positive impact it was negative impact there was um i mean and what i'm saying is is political reaction to his work um we think about things like the designer drug backlash you know um the dea cracking down on designer drugs it's basically to the dea basically saying we want shulgin chemicals off the street right the analog act to ban analogs of already classified drugs was a direct attack on Shulgin's work because they knew no matter what drug they scheduled, whether it was mess, you know, if they scheduled mescaline, he'd say, okay, I'll add a bromo group and it's bromo mescaline, which is 2CB. Right. But see, but then of course the you, DEA you can't have 2CB, that. I'm going to move that, you know, I'm going to move, I'm going to move the, the, the substitution that I made and maybe make it 2CI. Right, and see, and that's a problem for the for the DEA because they say, well, wait a minute, now we have to schedule 2CB, 2CI, this, that, and the other right. thing. So, so they, they have the analog act. They realized that they would never – the political process would never move as fast as the Shulgin discovery process. No. And they were specifically worried about the Shulgin discovery process because it was Shulgin who was doing all of the discovery in this area because he was the only one who was really licensed to be doing that kind of work. Right. Yeah, he was I mean he was the only person he had a, who could. He had a license from the DEA to work with schedule 1 drugs. Right. Right. Yeah. And um now this is something that I still need to do a little bit of research on because his whole relationship with the DEA is a little bit cloudy even for the people who know him. And uh this is, you know, and I don't want to talk too much about it until I do all of the research for for the article. But he was, you know, he was granted a DEA. Um, I'm not even sure why he was allowed to work with Schedule One Chemicals, other than the fact that he had a track record at Dow, and he was working under the auspices of Dow to find, you know, clinical medicines based on psychedelics. And I guess there was enough of a belief at that time that unlocking the power of psychedelics would lead to a line of medicines that would cure insanity. I mean, I think they really believed back in the late 60s and early 70s that if we just let Alexander Shulgin mess with these chemicals, he's going to cure schizophrenia and he's going to right. cure insanity and we're going to close all the mental institutions. Well, I mean, yeah. We're going to find a drug that just makes people not crazy. Well, see, I mean, I, you know, but, but, but that makes sense because, I mean, look at the state of mental institutions prior to 1970. Well, right. And you I know, think I mean, that, they were horrific. Yeah. Yeah. They were bad. They were bad. Now, so, I think that time of belief that the in pharmacology curing everything has come and gone. I, I don't I don't think people believe a single pill or a single set of pills is going to cure insanity. It's a much more complicated uh, mental health mental and physical health issue than just, you know, a brain chemistry thing. But I think that's really why he was given such a license is that they thought they were putting all of their eggs in one basket basically. Saying um, he, he he can do it. He can. Cure this is this. a guy who wants to do it, who has a proven track record of being able to do stuff like this. 
look what's happening with hippies and the LSD and the psilocybin. And, you know, we want to know how this works. Right. We We want to figure this out. And so they had, there were really only a few people like him and Dave Nichols and, um, you know, a couple others that were, that were really doing dedicated work in this, in this field. So he, he became the, 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 the tip of the spear on the discovery end because he was testing on himself. And this is before good animal models were, were made available. Basically the Nichols method, Dave Nichols method, good animal, animal models for, um, you know, proving psychoactivity. Of, of new compounds. The only way to find out if a compound was psychoactive was to test it on humans, was to test it on somebody and say, yeah, I'm either I'm tripping or I'm not tripping. And, and Shulgin did it on himself. And they had a small research group of people that they would test new compounds on. If they found something that was interesting, it was him and Anne and um, Myron Stoleroff and some other people who are, you know, are still around and probably don't want to be named. But they had a healthy group of people who were all involved in the research group um, documenting the work that eventually came out in Pickhall and Tickhall. And of course, there's there's dozens. Um, I mean, and I tried to get a, 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 an accurate number. People just kept telling me dozens or lots or stacks or, or piles or, or rooms full. There are lots of notebooks that still have not been transcribed of stuff that of, of lines of research that, sh- that Sasha was following that he never went back to or was never transcribed per per call and to call or, you know, were, were other lines of, of, of exploratory research. Like in, um, you know, he was very interested in, um, cactus alkaloids, the tons and tons of research on cactus alkaloids and has huge, you know, stack of notebooks on all of the research he's done on cactus alkaloids. And that stuff has never been, been published or at least not much of it has been published. And there are, you know, all of the stuff he did with um, nutmeg and aromatic oils and aromatic um, elixirs um, and, and essential oils that he extracted from different plants to see if, if they were psychoactive. A lot, of, a lot of that material has never seen the light of day. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely left behind not only a huge legacy, but a body of work that has, you know, we've only seen maybe the top half of it. I mean, he published a lot, a great deal. Pickall, Tickall, there's the Shulgin indexes, and uh, those are all available at transformpress.com. And if you guys want to support the family in any way, I think one of the best things that you can do is, you know, besides just sending them money through their donation account, which you can find on their Facebook page, you can go to Transform Press and buy a copy of Dirty Pictures or buy a copy of Picall or Tickall or, uh, you know, any anything that you see there. That supports the family, and that, and be, beyond that, that keeps the institution going because they are trying to put together the Ale- Alexander Shulgin Research Institute to continue his lines of research and to get all of this material transcribed and published and made in, and put made available in the public domain, so that um, future researchers can can have it available. And right now, it's basically sitting in a barn you know, outside of Oakland in Lafayette, California, on a hill um, on the Shulgin estate. And it's it's all very well organized. Um, there are people there, um, Tanya Manning, and uh, is, is doing a lot of the uh, archiving, archival work. Um, and she's she's got a very good accounting of all of, of the material that's there, including all of the material that hasn't been transcribed and all the material that's in process of being transcribed and so on. 
And um, they really want to continue doing that, even though um, Sasha is now dead. They want that process to continue. So the more the more support they get, the more monetary support they get, especially from the public face of the institution, the better, because they they will hopefully move into more grant funding or commercial research funding uh, once they get the lab back up and running. And there is there is some of some stuff going on there. But um, I just wanted to, you know, pause and tell people that that is probably the best way that they can they can show their support is by, um, you know, going to Transform Press or um, and, and or following the links to the Shulgin Research Institute and, um, you know, showing their support that way. Yeah. And I would recommend that everyone go over and do that if, you know, if you can, if you have the if you have the, you know, the means to do so. Go ahead and support. Right. And if you've ever thought, oh, I really wish I had a copy of Pical, you know, a physical copy or a copy of Pical just for reference, um, you know, now is the time to get those. Now is the time to buy those um, to just show your support for the family as opposed to like sending flowers or sending an email or posting a, a, right. a note on Facebook. That would be a real – I mean that would be a real gesture. And, um, you know, for people who are not chemists, you might think, oh, I don't really need to call or to call because they're just, you know, kind of like chemistry reference books. They are chemistry reference books. Yes, they are. But they also have amazing stories in them. Uh, Sasha and Anne are both great storytellers and they all have stories, you know, leading up to the discovery of certain molecules and certain crazy things that happened um, in their lives that don't really have anything to do with chemistry, but have more to do with uh, you know what being <laughs> moving in these circles <laughs> like the kind of things that happens moving in the circles that they move in and doing the things that they do you know with um, with um, psychoactive chemicals and the kind of people they meet so there's all sorts of stuff in those books that that are for everybody and uh, I you know I've had to go back and, and do some research and I I have never read Picall or Tickall cover to cover. It's, I would say it's, it would be impossible for me to do that since they're both huge books. I usually just go and skim through the reference material when I need it. But I started going back and reading. Uh, <laughs> I started reading Tickall and again and uh there's there's a, a bunch of stuff in there that uh is is really fascinating and i don't want to i don't want to go go too far off tangent but it's uh you know it's Picall is a tem- chemical love story and it really is a love story between uh him and Anne and and their research together so um there's a lot more to it than just the chemistry i suppose and it's a lot, it's really easy for people to just focus on the chemistry and the molecules, but there really is, you know, a very human story there behind it all. They're always his, <laughs> you know, and hers, and and for every, I think for every passage that Alexander wrote, Anne wrote a passage, um, because they were both describing the chemicals that that Alexander was was studying, and they both had their own particular take. And told me that um, of the chemicals that Sasha created, specifically Shulgin chemicals, that Sasha was probably most proudest of 2CB. And it was the one that he enjoyed the most and um, thought was maybe one of the finest chemicals that he had created in terms of the, the psychoactive effect. 
uh, and was always more fond of 2CB Fly. Um, although I'm not exactly sure why. She was very, um, I talked with Anne for uh, two couple hours in the morning. Uh, she was, um, you know, very, very steadfast about the point that different people have different body chemistries and react different ways to different molecules so that, you know, one person, what might be great for one person might not be great for another person. And, you know, I agreed that that was true for the most part, but also it came down to a matter of taste. Some people like a more gentle trip. Some people like more fireworks. Some people, you know, like more of a body high. Um, some people like to get knocked on their back, <laughs> right? Pass out and, and, and see ghosts. And yeah, stuff. it all depends on what you're into. You know, I mean, it, I'm, I mean, it depends on the type of experience you're looking for. Right. And um, Sa according to Anne, Sasha only liked a substance if he thought he could learn something from it. So he was really looking for teachers, things that would show him things about the universe, things that substances that would teach him things. And if it was a substance that didn't seem to teach him anything or seemed to be kind of a waste of time, then he didn't like it. For instance, he didn't like ketamine very much, even though I found ketamine to be extremely insightful in some ways. Um, apparently, Sasha either thought it was too disorienting or overwhelming. He didn't think that there was anything to be learned there. Right. Also, he, he knew John Lilly, and I, I think anybody who knows who knew John Lilly before he died <laughs> um, might have had a second thought about becoming a, a ketamine adherent, uh, seeing how John Lilly turned out. Well, we can argue that later, but yeah. anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, he also wasn't too fond of ayahuasca. Uh, I got the feeling, okay. and I asked Anne about this straight up. I said, Is, was Sasha really, um, I don't want to say elitist, but was he, you know, deferential to substances that he made himself as opposed to substances that came from somewhere else, like from ayahuasca or from a, from a different chemist. And she said, Oh no, no, no. He was very comfortable doing, you know, other people's um, you know, synthesis as long as he knew where they came from, you know, as long as he trusted the chemist that they came from, I think he was fine doing that. But it seems to me that he did have a very particular control issue about knowing the exact purity of the substance that he was taking. So that's taking something like a mix, a mixture of ayahuasca that he may not actually be sure what's in it or what the doses is or what to expect was not a comfortable experience for him. Right, but then I would argue, I would say, well, the shaman knows the dosage or the curandero or the ayahuascaro. Uh, right, but... Shulgin was his own shaman. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm not I'm not saying he didn't trust the other shaman. I'm just saying that being maybe being put in a position where he didn't know exactly what to expect was a was a was kind of a position of discomfort for him. Perhaps. I mean, I'm uh, not sure you you know a lot more than I do. Well, yeah, I mean, this is uh, this 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 is all all came out of the conversation that I had with Anne and um, other people, of course, who knew him and had 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 been with him for many years. So, so I was trying I was trying to get to, you know, I was trying to get to this, to to know you know what he was like in in relation to the to the substances that he he developed. And I guess Anne says his favorite drug was always LSD. Okay. And that uh, 
the one time that he had a trip that really surprised him or overpowered him was when uh, he and Anne had been experimenting with some LSD that she said must have been old or lost some of its potency because they were doing around 300 micrograms of this particular substance each trip. And they were having, you know, a good, nice, controllable time, which seemed like a high dose to me, uh, to be honest. And then she said they got a fresh batch from another chemist, and they said, oh, well, let's try this fresh batch. This is only, you know, a week old or a few days old, or I'm not even sure how, how old it was, but it was it had just recently been synthesized. And she said they tried it at the usual dosage, and it was so much more powerful than the slightly older batch that they had been doing, that it, it knocked both of them for a loop. And uh, that was probably the most surprising trip they'd ever had is because they were so used to doing LSD at a certain dosage, just getting a batch that was slightly more potent. And we, we had some discussions about, well, why was the old batch not so potent and why was the new batch more potent? And I guess nobody really knows for sure other than LSD, if it sits around a while, does tend to lose some of its potency, so... So there you go. I mean, even even when you know the substance you're doing and you know the dose range that you're comfortable with, <laughs> you can still be surprised. Very surprised. If it's not exactly what you were expecting. So, um, you know, they, even, even Sasha Shulgin is not immune to that truth with all everything that he knows and everything that he's experienced. So... I thought that was also a very interesting story. That's great. Yeah, no, that's that's that is interesting. You know, you're never quite prepared for what could come out of the uh the 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 not netherworld, but the uh alternate universe that you're putting yourself <laughs> into, you know. Yeah, uh And even the most experienced of of trippers <laughs> and of and of psychonauts, you know, can can come out of this stuff and say, "Wow." Like, this story may may actually be in Picaller to call, but uh, when that specific trip was coming on and said that uh, Sasha started walking around the house, locking all the doors and windows. Yeah. Because he knew the trip was going to be so extreme that he didn't think that he would be able to lock them later. Now, what he thought that he was keeping out, I don't know. But his thought process was, this is really coming on hard. I need to lock the doors and windows because I have no idea what's coming. <laughs> and I may not be able to lock them later. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. that's. <laughs> so, yeah, flashes, flashes of paranoia and weird, like, battening down the hatches kind of kind of activity i i understand that perfectly well you know i mean i mean there are like, there are there people that i've just i've just summoned a storm who knows what's going to happen there I are people to, that do I that need... sober yeah <laughs> you know i mean i know people who do that sober for god's sake i mean it's you know it's one of those things mm. <laughs> uh you know lining the inside of the uh of the roof with tin foil and stuff like that you know you never know what could happen right you got to be prepared I, I I do hope that story is in there because I would like to. Uh, to... I'm gonna have to go back and find it. You know, it's so funny. Um, I wouldn't mind reading I'm that. I'm sure Anne has told these stories, you know, numerous times before, and is 
has, you know, uh, there were many times in our conversation where she would look across the table at Tanya and say, is that in Pikal or is that in Tikal? And we would say yes or no, or I don't think so. And then we'd go back and flip through the book and find the story. And it was like, wow, this is this is a story that's in here that Anne even forgot was in here. Well, yeah, and she, so, you know, and her and Sasha there was so damn much book. stuff we found just randomly flipping through the books that just clicked so many old memories for her. Right. Um, it was it was really kind of a fun fun way to to spend the morning talking with her about um, the, uh, you know, them writing that in those crazy times. Like there was. There's one story we were, I mean, since we were there for high times, uh, we were asking about his uh, research with marijuana, which he did back in the 70s. And it was apparently he had gotten marijuana tax stamps and was growing marijuana right outside the lab, outside the back door of the house. And, you know, was was just um, working on the plants uh, daily out there. And I said, oh, do you have the tax stamps? Because we wanted to get a picture of the tax stamps for the article. And they went and dug around, and they found some tax stamps. And Anne said, "There's there's a crazy story about someone who tried to steal the tax stamps." And I was like, "What what story is that?" And she was like, "Oh, well, I think he wrote it up in an article." And they brought out a philatelic magazine, a stamp collector's magazine, which um, had the story of the Shulgin tax stamps in the magazine. I guess they're very famous tax stamps um, because of their relationship to Alexander Shulgin, and. <laughs> there's, she said, there's this great story about someone who who tried to steal them, and it's it's in this article. And then as Tanya was flipping through Picall, she says, "Oh, here it is in Picall." And I guess so. There that, it was. That, that just that just came up. The story of the tax stamps. Yeah, it has its own chapter. So, um, interesting stuff for sure. Definitely, um, his lab was mind blowing. Just. Hundreds upon thousands of little brown bottles filled with powders um, with no labels on them other than the little chemical pictures that Shulgin drew. So you would just pick up a bottle and there would be a picture of a molecule written in Shulgin, Shulgin's hand taped onto the front. So it's kind of like guess which one you're taking. Well, if you're a chemist, you know exactly what it is. Right, but if but if you don't, it's like, guess which one you're taking. I look at all the pictures and understand what each chemical was, but I am not, you know, I don't know the taxonomy of chemistry well enough to be able to just say off the top of my head what the name of each chemical is. But I can say, oh, yeah, that's a benzene, that's a benzene ring with a methyl group and, you know, three methyl groups. And, you know, and I don't know what that, that chemical is, but I can identify the little component parts because I know a little bit about um, you know, the psychoactive chemistry. But even even the chemist that we were there with, Paul Daly, who is taking over um, Shulgin's lab, who has been working with Shulgin for many, many, many years um, and is now basically running the lab, um, even he couldn't identify some of the molecules just off the top of his head because they were so, he was like, I can't even remember what this is. And, you know, he'd have to spend some time looking at it to, to remember what it was, what it was from. Um, what line of research it was from. And then he would say, oh, yes, this is an intermediary between this and this. Or, oh, yeah, yeah, this is where we start to do this synthesis. So, like, there's a lot of molecules in there that are just like intermediary molecules between one thing and another that really aren't psychoactive or good for anything else. Other, other than, than bridging the, the gap. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> right. So everything that we picked up had a, had a story behind it. 
every bottle that we picked up had had a story behind it. And like I said, there's there's thousands of these little bottles, and I'll, I'll try to post some of these pictures with the uh, with this, this um, podcast when we put it up or on the Facebook page. But if you haven't seen Dirty Pictures, the the, the movie, the documentary about Ale- Alexander Shulgin, or you haven't seen any pictures of the lab. You won't know what I'm talking about, but it is crazy. I don't think anything like it exists in the world other than this tiny little lab. Um, there's like, you know, you're in his lab and there's you, everything you pick up is like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like, oh, yeah, this is a you know, precursor to the opiate synthesis or this is, you know, um, LSA. Yeah, this, this is, um, you know, oh, this is DOM. This is, uh, there's some salvia over here in the corner. Uh, there's, you know, everything that you can think of. There's wormwood. There's, uh, you know, every psychoactive plant, molecule, elixir, ether, solvent um, that has ever been investigated by anybody is, is there in some small pinch or powder form besides the things that they removed from the lab when the DEA came there. And there are, there are placeholders. Um, for all the vials that were removed when um, they had to clean out when the, when the DEA came, which is a different different story. But um, after Pical was published, the DEA raided Shulgin's lab as a pretext for finding reasons to revoke his license. And I'm not exactly sure what the process was there, but according to Paul Dyer, Shulgin says, I mean, Paul Daly um, Shulgin says that he gave his license back. He, the DEA didn't revoke it. He just gave it back because he was so disgusted with them. But I don't know what the actual story is. I'm going to have to do a little bit more research on that. Yeah, That's I mean, I would be interested in finding out what the end result to that was, what the what the actual, <laughs> you know, what the actuality of it was. So, but, yeah, and we have, we have a picture that'll probably be published with the um, with the article I'm writing for High Times of they he has these these little um almost shoebox sized boxes that when you open them up there's like forty little pencil thin vials all stacked in a in a neat in neat rows with an index card saying what's in each one of these little vials and each little vial has a has a chemical picture scribbled on it. And we opened one vial and it was like Cocaine, opium, you know, morpho cocaine. I don't even know what it was. I mean, so many. You can look at the index card when I when it's published, but it was just so many different psychoactive molecules all scrawled on this index card. It's like holy cow! This this is a mad scientist's laboratory. Yeah, but it's uh, but see, but that's that's also what makes it so great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. He was one of a kind. Um, I put him in a class with um. With Tesla, Nikola Tesla, and uh, Albert Einstein, in the fact that they were all um, gentlemen scientists who were working in their own laboratories under their own auspices, doing research of their own design without interference from any uh, institution or organization or government. Um, they were just sort of gentlemen explorers, and Shulgin was lucky that he had um, his estate, the land there, and enough money to retire from Dow Chemicals and do this independent research um, without having a full-time job other than doing whatever the he res- wanted to. Yeah, but right, the research that he wanted right. to do. So there, there, there really – I don't know if there can be another Shulgin. It's 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 like he was it's like um, saying, is there going to be another Tesla? It's like, is there going to yeah. be another, uh, you know, right. uh, Newton? Is there going to be another uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas? Probably not, you know. Yeah. 
he was definitely one of a kind and um the institute is is looking and following some lines of research right now they're looking into developing um ls i mean um bol which is an lsd analog it's a non-psychoactive lsd analog that may be used to treat cluster headaches and they they may be getting funding from a group called cluster busters looking to find you know um um a way to get this 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 to market um in a clinical sense and they and you know there's there's a lot of res- lot of strong interest in researching the duds like the the molecules that prove not to be psychoactive um in the lines of research that he was doing because even though they're not psychedelic they may still have clinical application in a variety of different uh different conditions we just don't know yet and there's something in the order of maybe 30 patents 40 patents that Shulgin holds and that could be disputed or followed plus other chemicals other molecules that he has created that have not been published on or patented so um who knows where the institute could go once it gets set up and 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 organized the way that that the people involved would like it to but this is all very in the very early stages who knows what's going to happen but um hopefully um there's enough of a legacy material there enough legacy material there to have a fruitful research foundation actually producing um clinical pharmacological material as opposed to say just publishing because i think they could have a research institute that just publishes on the unreleased material that shulgin has been working on but i i think they really want to be moving into um you know turning the lab back on and producing material um, because there it's still there and paul daly is still there every week um working on one thing or another and um you know it's it's sad that alexander shulgin is is now dead but his work will live on yes it will no it, it will it will on. in many yeah. ways through many All people anyways and i think um many of the things that he was working on the um you know the fruits of that research has not have not yet blossomed and uh hopefully they will um now that we're moving into a more enlightened age of psychedelic exploration. And well, I'm glad that he was alive to see that. Yeah, no, I'm so am I. Alive to see that turn the corner because I think at the end he was very happy and optimistic about the future. Um, yeah. He was, I, and, even though he was dying and on death's door, he was, he was, um, he seemed happy. He was, you know, he was trying to crack jokes and, and um, he just sort of seemed at peace with, with, with what was going on. Well, that's good, you know. That's something yeah. that most people, unfortunately, do not reach. <laughs> you know, right? But well, he will be very he will be, he he will be greatly missed by many, many, many people. Right, and I will be. Um, I'm going to try to keep um, in touch with the family over the next few weeks as um, I file this article, um, just to collect some more memories and thoughts and. Uh, Hopefully, the piece that I write for High Times will will um, accurately capture the spirit of the man, the myth, and the legend. Um, 
I was really, it was really a great experience. I had never been to the farm, and it was really a great experience to go there and see it um, while he was while he was still there. Um, I'm really grateful to the family, to Anne and um, Tanya and Paul and everybody who was there to help me out and um, show me around when I was there. And um, just an amazing man, an amazing life, and just unbelievable, just mind blowing the amount of the amount of work he produced. It must have been a fantastic experience. It was fantastic and sad, but um, you know, I knew why I was there, so it felt a little felt a little morbid, to be honest with you, to be um, intruding on the family in in their final days. But they were very gracious about it, and uh, it was. I'm glad I went. Well, and I and I'm glad you went too, because there's a, you know, a lot of information to uh to get through and to talk about yeah and yeah. uh it's good that there's preservation measures being taken as well that's the other well, thing well it's that... just the first steps i mean they this is i mean they knew it was coming but now that he's now that now that he's finally uh, passed away they are going to have to um you know really they want to preserve the land where the lab is uh the lab itself i think should be a historic site it's um, an amazing, tiny little piece of history. I think if if Einstein's home, where he published his work on relativity, is a historic site, then um, you know definitely the Shulgin Lab up on Shulgin Road, um, on Shulgin Hill, I guess <laughs> would be the best way to describe it. Uh, he uh, that that lab is. And all of the material up there is just, uh, you know, like I said, it's unlike anything else on Earth. It's it's a one of a kind little little place. It's his alchemical hideaway. You know, it's like something out of Lord of the Rings. You know, you you go into Gandalf's. There's like a tiny shack in the woods covered with vines, and you open it up, and there's you know Gandalf smoking a pipe with you know all sorts of bubbling chemistry equipment going on, and that's you know that's what Shulgin is to me he is like gandalf the gray he's like a gray wizard a white wizard right uh, making especially those, in his later days right kind of the alchemist in the lab yeah type deal. very yeah. much so very yeah. much so so um going to his little hobbit hole <laughs> up on the pleasant rolling hills only solidified that idea for me i'm i i don't know if he if he um nurtured that image of himself but that was definitely um that was definitely my takeaway is that he was a very Tolkien-esque figure of, of you know, just, you know, uh, light and discovery and curiosity. So, um, sad. I'm so sad that he's gone. Well, he's, his memory will live on. And we, we actually were looking at some video of him lecturing as a younger man and everybody there was just almost shell-shocked at how full of life and enthusiasm he was. I think everybody had forgotten at that point, um, you know, being with him as he's gotten um, older and, and, uh, and more frail, had forgotten how um, full of life and enthusiasm he was. Uh, so that's the way I think we should remember him, is that, as the man who was, uh, you know, fighting Congress against the Analog Act. Exactly. No, no, no. I completely agree, and I think that that's how he will he he will be remembered I in the future. So. so, 
Well, any final comments for uh, today's uh, special? On rest in peace, Sasha. Sasha. Rest in everybody peace, in the psychedelic yeah. community is is, is sad be and celebrating your life and work. Celebrate, yeah, celebrate his life and more in his di- and more in the passing. But uh, you know, at the same time, keep the memory alive. You know, keep it going, and uh, keep 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 that ideal. Uh, you know, keep keep that ideal in mind that he had. Yeah, and please, if you're listening to this and you you are a, a fan of Sasha's work and you want to support the family, visit Transform Press, uh, find the Shulgin Research Institute. There are ways uh, to support them and uh, send your support. I'm sure they're inundated with messages today, um, and and people wishing them well. So uh, yeah, show your support with them. You know by by purchasing Shulgin's work, and that money will go on to preserving his foundation. Yeah. That's where that money will go. That's where all of that money is going, is to, is to preserving his work and transcribing his work so you know, we can publish and, and, uh, and have future generations um, profit from that work. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree. So... And uh, you've basically taken the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm an archivist, so I'm so I say keep it all, keep it all. Uh, oh, on, I know. On tap he, for the. And he is apparently a pack rat. I mean, he has lab books from his high school chemistry classes in in his barn. And that's what I'm saying. Keep these things for the future generations, so that they know <laughs> what what is you know. There was all sorts of stuff that they pulled out yeah. of there. Um, that I just that just blew my mind. That was just like, oh my god, where and where is all of this stuff going to go now? Well, hopefully it can be preserved. So um, they want to have a museum up there on the hill, and I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but it it would be. It's a nice vision. Oh, that would be fantastic. We'll see how it materializes. So, but anyway, rest in peace, uh, Sasha Shogun. That's that's my final. Uh, word for the program james you pretty much summed it up for me so but thank you everybody for listening Uh, i'm your host jay kettle and of course with me as always is founder of dosenation.com and author of psychedelic information theory james kent james thanks for being here as always and thank you for going up to the ranch as well and again this is a special episode of dose nation we will return to our regular broadcast our irregular broadcast schedule (laughs) yes our irregular broadcast schedule soon don't worry um, and uh, episode 50 which is our 50th episode will be coming out uh, pretty soon as well so keep your eyes open for that well thanks for joining us have a good morning, good afternoon or good evening wherever you are in the world and uh, we will see you all uh, next time and of course rest in peace Sasha Shulkin thanks for joining us thanks everyone